Amen. You do belong here. Thank you so much from, from myself, from the pastoral staff and spouses. You all are an incredible blessing. And so I appreciate you guys being here this morning. And we are looking forward to a few of those events. Make sure to sign up out in the lobby for the missions convention banquet. That's that Saturday, 11-11. No charge. We would love to have you there. Just sign up so we know how many to expect. And then also... Uh, for that upcoming Ladies' Praise Night. We're super excited about that. The Burnets are an incredible uh, blessing to this congregation, and we're so thankful for them. So make sure to join us for that as well, specifically to the ladies. I want to tell you a story today, and I've always wanted to be a good storyteller. My kids will tell you as much. I'm not saying that I am great. I might have said so in the past, but I like to tell stories. I tell lots of stories to my kids. You can ask them. But I've wanted to be a good storyteller because of the fact that Jesus was a storyteller. Somebody came to Jesus and asked him something. He typically would respond by telling them a story. Right? When Peter came to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus said, how many times do you think? And Peter says, should I forgive him seven times? And at this point, Peter probably was trying to get a little pat on the behind from the Lord of hosts and... A little, hey, good job there, Peter, because of the fact that that would have been generous based on the teaching in the day. So he says seven times, expecting the gold medal for apostles, I suppose. And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Let me tell you a story. He tells the story of a king who has a servant, and that servant comes to him, and he says, listen, I'm going to forgive all of your debts, and I'm going to take out the ledger books and just say that it's paid and that servant then leaves that place and he goes and finds another servant who owes him a small amount compared to the large amount that the, he owed the king. And instead of forgiving that debt, he goes to him and he beats him, throws him in prison, which is all stuff that would have been allowed under the law. But he goes the opposite direction that the king went for him. So the king calls him back in and says, what, what are you thinking? I forgave your debts and yet you won't forgive someone else's small debts against you, which are nothing compared to what you owed me. And so, Jesus told a story. He told a story to teach about forgiveness. He said, you forgive 70 times 7, but he did it in a story. Or when the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said to Jesus, boy, it's, you like to spend a lot of time with people who are sinners. The people who should not be in your company, and you should not be in theirs. And Jesus said, well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Let me tell you some stories. He tells him three stories. One of those stories was about a father who had two sons. And one of those sons decided he wanted his inheritance ahead of time. And so he said, Dad, give me my inheritance now. And he headed off and went to a city and spent all of the money. And as soon as he was out, he needed to get a job. And so he got a job feeding pigs. And after a while, he stopped and he asked himself the question, why are the pigs eating better than I'm eating? And he said, you know what, if I go back home, I know the servants are treated better in my house than I am being treated here. And he says, well, if I go home and I apologize to my father, maybe he'll allow me to be a servant in his house. And so he heads back. And we've all heard the story about what happens as he approached the house. It turns out his father was sitting on the front porch watching in the distance for his son to come home. And he jumped off the porch and he ran to him and he gave him a big hug and he said, my son who is gone is now back, dead, now alive kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a celebration. What a great story. And that's what Jesus did. He told stories. 
And so I've always wanted to be a good communicator, and so I've wanted to tell stories. I've wanted to be a good preacher. One of the guys that I really look up to, probably the person that I look up to more than anybody else, as far as preaching is concerned, I would call him the Garrison Keeler of preaching. Guy could preach. He was never a pastor. He was a professor. Never met him, and actually he passed away three months and one week ago. When he passed away, there wasn't really a big hubbub. There was no big to-do. Um, there were a few articles and a few things that maybe pastors would read. The guy's name was Dr. Haddon Robinson. Oh, man, he could preach. He could preach. I would call him a great preacher, except for the fact that he once was said, called that, and he said, there's no such thing as a great preacher, only a great Christ. And boy, that affected me. He wasn't the best-looking fellow I've ever seen. He actually had a face. I would say he had a face that a mother could love. He had a face that made you realize that God was probably trying to keep him humble. <laughs> but boy, could he preach. Man, oh man. I loved his preaching style. In fact, one time he preached a message, and it fundamentally changed the way that I looked at the letter that I'm going to be sharing from today when I tell a story. And if you want to see a real preacher, go to YouTube and put in Haddon Robinson and Philemon and see what you see. You'll see a real preacher. So today I want to tell you a story. And the best storyteller I know personally once told me that it's lazy as a storyteller to start at the end, to start at the climax. So if you've ever watched a movie or a TV show and they start at the moment when the action's at its highest and it's completely intense, and then to go back from there and start with all of the exposition and explain how you get to that point. He says it's, it's lazy, and the reason why it's lazy is that apparently you couldn't keep people's attention from the beginning, so you had to start at the end and say, this is where we're going to get to. If you, if you invest, then maybe you'll get there with us, okay? So, so it's a lazy form of storytelling, but I'm going to be a lazy storyteller today, and I'm going to start at the end. And it's a moment that's not intense, but we'll say it's tense. It was like one of those moments that you could cut with a, an electric carving knife. There's two guys. And they're eyeballing each other. One's here. And the other one's here. And the reason why this is a tense moment is that the one who's standing here wants to kill the one who's standing there. I mean, he has murder in his heart. He wants him done. And this man's name is Philemon. Which is a great name, Okay. Philemon means brotherly love, okay? 20 years ago, when every pastor in the entire United States was preaching the same sermon on the three different kinds of love, eros and phileo and, and agape, God's love, the one that's the brotherly love one, the one that the city of Philadelphia is named after, Philadelphia, Philemon would have fit in well in Philadelphia because brotherly love. Okay, anyways, so, but Philemon, his name, and doesn't it sound like he's Jamaican? Brotherly love man. Anyways, you can picture him however you want, dreadlocks or not. His name's Philemon. And he's mad. And he's mad because of the other guy who's standing right here, and this guy's name is Onesimus. Now, that's also a fun name. His name means useful, which seems like an odd name for somebody, but it wasn't actually an odd name for his profession, and I use the word profession loosely. He was a slave. Or a former slave, I should say. He was a slave. 
And that was actually a fairly common name for slaves because of the fact that it was probably started as a nickname. A slave would be called useful. We know of slaves that were, there were lots of slaves named useful. There were lots of slaves that were actually, their name was useless. So you can get a pretty good idea on how good they were based on their name. And so it probably started as a nickname. Who knows? Maybe Onesimus at one time was useful. Maybe he wasn't. We don't know for sure. But he had the name useful. So they're staring at each other. Philemon is looking at him and is just angry. And Onesimus is looking back at him. He pulls out from behind his back a letter. Okay? So that's the end. So now we need to back up to how they got to that point. Because again, lazy storytellers. So sometime before, possibly years, Onesimus was a slave for Philemon. And at some point, Onesimus decided he didn't want to be a slave for Philemon anymore. We don't know what kind of master Philemon was. He was a believer. He was a Christian. His name meant brotherly love. But that doesn't necessarily mean he was a good master. Probably was. He had a lot of money. Uh, He had a big house. The church in Colossae actually met in his house, which means that he had a probably fairly large house. This was 200 years before the first church building, so every church met in a house. And so church in Colossae met in Philemon's house. He also had slaves, so he probably was fairly well off. But we don't know what kind of master he was. One day Onesimus decided he was tired of being a slave. So he decided, I'm going to run away. The problem with being a runaway slave is that the punishment, if you are found, is pretty high. You could be thrown in prison, and that's the lightest thing that could happen to you. He could have He could have, Philemon would have had every right to have Onesimus killed, okay? In fact, the form of death would have been crucifixion. So, the lightest punishment would have been imprisonment. And so Onesimus decides he's going to cast the dice, he's running away, he doesn't want to be a slave anymore. But if he's casting the dice, he might as well go all in. Because if you're going to be a slave on the run, you need some money. And so Onesimus waits until Philemon is out of the house along with his family. And he breaks into the house. And he takes everything he can get his hands on. He takes the money. He takes the jewels. He takes everything and heads out the door. Now the question is, as a slave, and you're on the run, where do you go? He can't stay in Colossae. Colossae is a small town. Everybody knows everybody else's business. And if you've ever been in a small town, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody knows every mistake that you've ever made and everything you've ever done. And so if Onesimus had remained in Colossae, it wouldn't have been long and he would have been recaptured and boy, it would have been ugly. So he needs to, at the very least, leave Colossae. The closest town is Ephesus. Bigger city, I should say. But Ephesus, there's connections between Ephesus and Colossae. In fact, that's where Paul founded the church in Colossae from was Ephesus. It was out of, so there's connections there. So if he goes to Ephesus, he's probably busted as well. So he's got to set his sights a little further away. So he does. He sets his sights on a city, the largest city in the Roman Empire, that if he can make it there, he can disappear. He's convinced of it. 
but it would be no small thing for him to actually make it there because it's 1,500 miles away through bandit-infested roads and through hills and mountains and overseas. So, I mean, it would have been no small thing for him actually to make it all the way to Rome. But he sets off. Again, if he's going to cast the dice, he might as well go big. And so he heads off to Rome. And as he's heading off to Rome, I would imagine he had to bribe and steal his way to get there. But he makes it. He makes it all the way to Rome. When he gets there, we don't know how long he was there. We don't know what he did there. I would imagine he did what every young man with no moral compass would do in a big city that offers certain things. So he lives there for a while. Somewhere along the line, and we're not exactly sure where it happens, but somewhere along the line, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody tells Onesimus that he really needs to go and meet a guy named Paul. He says, it's not going to be easy. Paul's in prison, but you really should go and talk to him. So Onesimus decides, maybe led by the Holy Spirit, we don't know, one day to go and visit Paul in prison. And Paul does what Paul always does. He shares Jesus Christ with him. And in that moment, Onesimus commits his life to Christ and becomes a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come, and it's an incredible thing. And from then on, Onesimus, God's doing a great work in his life, and he continues to work in his life, not just in that moment, but continually from then on. And he gets together with Paul. We know he gets together with him regularly. Probably every day, he's going and visiting Paul, and he gets to know him better and better. And, and the, God knits their hearts together. God does an amazing work where he's got a former Pharisee and a former slave, and he's done the work on the inside to change both of them. And as a result, they're connected. So it matters not where we're been before but where we are now in Jesus Christ so that's what's happened and Onesimus and Paul become close close friends but one day Onesimus feels like he needs to tell Paul the whole truth he needs to tell him about where he's come from and it's full past so one day he walks into Paul and I would imagine this is Kind of how it went. Hey, Paul. Yes, Onesimus. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> yeah, that was funny the first time, Paul. Thanks. What's up, Onesimus? Hey, Paul, you remember how I was told you I was originally from Ephesus? Yeah. Onesimus from Ephesus. <laughs> I'm a poet and I had no idea. That's great, Paul. Um, so it wasn't entirely true. I'm not actually from Ephesus. I'm actually from Colossae. Oh, really? I know Colossae, a little town. In fact, I planted a church there at one point. Really, Paul? Where was it? Oh, I was in the house of Philemon. You know Philemon. Oh, yeah, I led him to Christ. I, I'm the one who actually shared with him about Jesus the very first time. Okay. I know Philemon, too. Really? 
really? I always picture him with dreadlocks. Philemon. <laughs> okay, that's great, Paul. Seriously. Here's the thing. I was actually Philemon's slave. And I ran away. And when I did, I stole everything that wasn't tied down in the house, Paul. Oh, Onesimus. Now, at this point, Paul could have made any decision here. Like, they're 1,500 miles away from Colossae. Like, no way is Philemon ever going to hear that Onesimus and Paul crossed paths in Rome. He could have sent them anywhere he wanted. He could have kept them with him, but he didn't. Because Paul knew that the gospel, the good news, changes things. And so instead, he sends Onesimus, along with another guy named Tychicus, back to Colossae with two letters. And one of them is in our Bibles. It's the letter of Colossians. And the other one is in our Bibles. This one to the family, to the house of Philemon as Philemon. So Tychicus and, and uh, Onesimus head back to Colossae. 1,500 miles, probably three months of travel. And I would imagine the entire way that Onesimus, who has no idea what's greeting or meeting him on the other side of this entire trip, is wondering, okay, is this going to result in my death or what? The entire time, I wonder if he and Tychicus even said anything to each other. But the heads back, 1,500 miles. And I wondered as he was finally getting approach, uh, approaching Colossae, what was going through his head. Because I guarantee you that Philemon was not waiting on the front porch. I guarantee you that Philemon didn't come running out to him and wrap him up. Because he didn't take his own inheritance, he took someone else's. So, but at some point, and we don't know how it happened... We know at some point Philemon and Onesimus were in the exact same room staring at each other. And at some point Onesimus pulled out a letter for Philemon and handed it to him. And Philemon must have grabbed that scroll and opened it up and begun to read. Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now, at this point, I'd imagine Philemon's brain just went into gridlock. Because how in the world would Paul have connected with Onesimus? Right? The last he'd heard, he was in prison in Rome. What in the world? How could that have happened? And then him to send him with a letter back to Philemon. So he probably stopped and with squinted eyes stared over at Onesimus and thought for a moment before his brain kind of freed back up and he was able to keep reading. Continues on. It says, To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, which is probably Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
probably Philemon's son, who was apparently in the ministry. Paul calls him a fellow soldier. And the church in your house. Now here I picture Philemon going, hey, Aphia, Archippus, come on out. There's a letter here from Paul. They probably came out and gave Onesimus that same look. Probably had their breath catching their lungs just the exact same way as Philemon's had. He says, there's a letter here from Paul. It says to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Here's what it says. Verse 3. Well, they didn't have verses. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I guarantee you grace and peace is not what was in Philemon's mind and heart at that very moment. That's what it says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And he probably started to read all the while glancing over at Onesimus. Eventually he made his way down to verse 10. It says there, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Okay, that's weird. Onesimus, man, you've always been sneaky. You pulled the wool over Paul's eyes, didn't you, buddy? useful. I should have called him something else. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed useful to you and to me. Useless to me, that's a little bit of an understatement. Now he's indeed useful to you. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Whoa. Sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would imagine at this point that Philemon's heart started to melt there a little bit. Because we're talking about Paul, the person who led him to Christ, without which he would not have had salvation. And Paul says that this guy, Onesimus, useful, is actually useful to him. And in fact, more than just being useful, he's sending his very heart by sending him back. Okay, that's no small thing. He probably kept reading, eventually made it down to verse 18 where it says, And if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now I wonder if Philemon lost it at this point. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for Philemon. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for Paul. Hey, Paul, you're persecuting the church. Charge that to my account, Jesus said. Hey, Paul, you're persecuting me. Charge that to my account, Jesus said. Hey, Paul, You just had Stephen killed. Charge that to my account. It's what Jesus did for Paul. It's what Jesus did for Onesimus. And now here Paul is saying in that exact same way, listen, I know he took from you. I know he stole Archippus's Uh, uh, inheritance. I know that what belonged to you, he took and he ran. 
but I'll pay it back. Put it on my account. That's what Jesus has done for me. And that's what Jesus has done for you. So I think at this point, probably Philemon understood at least a little bit more like, okay, fine. All right, fine. Paul will pay it back. Fine. Onesimus, I forgive you. You can just head on out to the field. You get back to work out there, we'll imagine it never happened. Paul is going to pay it. He's not saying it's swept under the rug, but he's saying he'll actually pay the cost for you. You go back out to the field. And at this point, I guarantee you I know what happened because every husband everywhere knows what happens. His wife probably said, now, honey, I think you missed something. What did he say right before that? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So um, would you send Paul out to the field to make him work? You know I wouldn't do that, Afia. I would put him in the guest room. Oh, no, you wouldn't. Fine. I'd put him in our room, and I would sleep in the guest room. That's better, honey. (laughs) Onesimus, why don't you go ahead and head on into my room over there? I'm sure that was a long journey. You sleep in my bed tonight. And I'll sleep in the guest room. What I love about the good news of the gospel is that not only are we forgiven, but in the same way that we would receive him, God receives us. After Liz and I had first started dating, I was newly a Christian and There was a situation in which I found myself in jail in the middle of the night. There's no story there. (laughs) It was like three in the morning at this point. I'm sitting in the drunk tank. I was not drunk, but all the other people were. And as I'm sitting there in that drunk tank, I really wasn't drunk. (laughs) But as I was sitting there, I called Liz, and I said, hey, Liz, so I got arrested. Any chance you could come and bail me out? So she, in the middle of the night, went into what is now my father-in-law's bedroom, knocked on the door and pushed it open and said, hey, Dad, no response. It's the middle of the night. Hey, Dad, no response. Hey, Dad! Yes, sweetheart? Alan got arrested. We need to go bail him out. (laughs) I don't know how the conversation went. I was in the drunk tank trying to look as mean as possible. I probably should have been sharing Jesus Christ, but I was just trying to look mean. Don't mess with me. Jesus loves you. Don't mess with me. 
So you know what Phil did? He came down to the Greene County Jail and bailed me out. Very nice of him. <laughs> and then afterwards, we went back to his house, and he was just trying to cheer me up. And he, uh, we pulled out board games, and we played board games. And for like middle of the night, we're doing this. And I've stopped and I've thought about that. What happened, what would have happened had there been some random person who was in jail who just picked up the phone and just started dialing numbers to try to get somebody? And if he had just happened upon Phil's number and called up and said, hey, Phil, or dude, hey, dude, could you come bail me out of jail? Now, maybe the Holy Spirit would have led him and he would have done that. He's a good guy. If you don't know him, you need to. Maybe he would have done that. But I highly doubt that he would have then invited him back to his house to try to soften the blow somewhat on getting arrested. And I seriously doubt he would have then offered his daughter's hand in marriage to that young man. <laughs> but there's a scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, which says that when God looks at us, that we are found in Christ. Which means that we're like a piece of paper that you put in the Bible and close. When he looks at us, the Bible is Jesus, and we're the piece of paper. He looks at us, and he sees Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, says that we are accepted in the beloved. So it's not just that we're forgiven in Jesus Christ. It's that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ and therefore accepts us. The reason why Phil came out of his bed was because of the fact that it was his beloved who came in the door and asked him to. Receive him as you would receive me. And at this point, I'm sure Archippus was like, hey, Dad, what does it say? I thought I heard something else. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than as a bondservant, as a beloved brother. People wonder, why would Paul send a slave back to his slave owner? Well, the reason why was he wasn't sending a slave, he was sending a son. He wasn't sending a bondservant, he was sending a brother. See, everywhere the gospel goes, freedom follows. Everywhere this message goes, it suffocates things like slavery. Because every time a bondservant becomes a brother, a slave becomes a son, it cuts it out from the inside and it changes things from the inside out. Going all the way back to Onesimus and Paul and Philemon. That's what it did. We read this letter and we think, boy, there's not much here for us. What I love about the Bible is the fact that it's full of stories. But Jesus, when he told those stories, they weren't true, right? Like he made it up on the spot, I assume. The story of the king and his servant, it's just something Jesus came up with. 
The story of the father and the two sons. Something Jesus came up with. And yet, Paul's in a prison in Rome. And out of nowhere comes a former slave who just happens to be connected with somebody Paul led to Christ 1,500 miles away. Why did Paul send uh, Onesimus back? Well, probably the reason why he sent him back was he realized that God was doing something here and that the gospel changes things. So he sends him back. And as a result, we have the story in our Bibles of the prodigal son fleshed out. We have the story of the master and servant fleshed out. A true story where the gospel changed everything. So today... Here's what I would encourage you to do. The thing about the gospel is that it, the way I picture it, is that our heart over time, it just gets cracked. Like there's stuff that happens. And I just picture the gospel just overflowing in our hearts and seeping into every single one of those cracks. The good news is like, an area of our heart that's dry-rotted and the gospel goes in and it firms it up. So today, I just want to encourage you in this. The gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ changes everything. And boy, let that seep into every crack in your heart and firm up every dry-rotted area. And let it change you from the inside out. Father, I just thank you for this little letter. You can't even call it a letter. It's like a postcard. It's like 25 verses, oh God. But in it we see the gospel at work in people's lives. And may we never at Praise Assembly get separated from this truth. Because here we see it, a former Pharisee and a former slave. And oh God, in you they are the same. Because you make the old new, you make it a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the old is gone and the new has come. We come back to that over and over and over again. And Father, for every person in this room who thinks it's something else, for every person in this room who has somehow become convinced, because I know how it works, has somehow become convinced that it's really just about living well. It's coming to church and it's living good. And if I come to church enough and I, if I live good enough, then I'll be accepted by God. Oh, Lord, that's not what I see in the word of God. Instead, I see that you made a way. That Jesus Christ said to every single one of us that put that on my account. And receive him or her as you would receive me. No longer a slave or a bondservant, but a son and a brother or a sister. Father, I thank you for that because, well, that is the only, you are the only one who can do that sort of a thing. And for anybody who's in this room right now who've misheard or somehow has had misrepresented the truth 
of your word and the truth of the gospel, oh God, let it seep into their hearts right now. We're doing this whole series called Open Heart God, and it's really just about your work in us. Firm up, oh God, I pray. Solidify, I pray. Work in our hearts, God, I pray. Fill those cracks and those broken spots and the dry, rotted areas, oh God, before you. And right now, if there are any who have not accepted that incredible offer made on their behalf, put it on my account. Receive them as you would receive me, brother, sister, son, or a daughter. Oh God, I just pray right now that you by your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and say, today is the day of your salvation. It's not about living good. It's about coming to the only one who lived good. May we hear that message today, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite you to stand with me now. We're going to sing a song here. Great old song. Amazing love. And this morning, as you're in here, we've got a few minutes before 11.30, so I encourage you not to head out quite yet. But take this opportunity to allow the gospel truth to just flood into your heart, to hear that message and allow those cracks to be filled afresh and anew, and those dry, rotted areas to be firmed up. And if you're in here and you do not know Christ, now is an opportunity to get to know him. If you need prayer for anything, let me just say, if you need prayer for anything this morning as Pastor Dylan and Pastor Nicole lead us, I'm going to encourage you to just come down to the front and we'll have our prayer team just come out and begin to pray with you during this time. And let me just say to you, this would also be a great time to just say, oh God, I give you everything. Thank you for making me new. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken.
Amen. I want to thank you so much for attending with us this morning. Uh, before you head out, I just want to remind you of a couple things. Um, as usual, with our fifth Sundays or with our family Sundays, uh, we're going to be pausing all of our evening activities uh, tonight. Some of you who are in small groups, you've talked with your group leaders. Some of you might have plans. Uh, the youth ministry will continue to remain faithful and meet tonight. Uh, so teenagers, be there. Uh, we're going to be here. Um, also, as you guys are headed out, um, if you see any of those this morning that got baptized, would you just congratulate them? Uh, tell them you're proud of them. I know we are as a church. We're so proud of you guys uh, and this step that you've taken. Also, if you're a guest with us, to my left, your left as you exit, we've got some fresh baked cookies for you. Uh, so if you would, just stop by that room um, on your way out. Thank you so much. You guys have a great afternoon.